let's get right into our word this morning. Uh, we're in our series, uh, summer series, Questions Jesus Asked, and we have one more uh, next Sunday we'll wrap up this series. Now we're in number seven or six or seven, I don't even know where we are, but we've been an answering questions that Jesus asked. Remember, Jesus asked questions not just to speak words, he asked things that were that, that got to the core of where we are, where we live. How many know that there's what they, maybe a philosophical or theoretical way of living, but then there's where the rubber meets the road? The questions Jesus asked help us to get to where the rubber meets the road. And so this morning, we're going to answer the question, why do you doubt? Why do you doubt? Matthew chapter 14, uh, we'll read beginning verse number 25. It says, now in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went to them walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, it is a ghost. And they cried out for fear. But immediately, everybody say immediately. immediately. That's important. Immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, be of good cheer. It is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him and said, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. So he said to him, come, that rhema word, come. And when Peter had come down out of the boat, he walked on the water to go to Jesus. But when he saw the, water, the wind was boisterous, he was afraid and beginning to sink. He cried out saying, Lord, save me. And immediately Jesus, there it is again, immediately, Jesus stretched out his hand, caught him and said to him, oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? May the Lord add his blessing to his word this morning. You know, I, now, now let me just do this uh, honest disclosure. This topic this morning that we're going to talk about is, uh, it, it, it's not widely talked about in the church. And in fact, I told the early service, I said, I don't remember the last time I preached about doubt. I don't remember hearing lessons about doubt. This is not something that we typically talk about uh, in, in church setting, uh, doubt is an uncomfortable thing. Doubt is an uncomfortable topic because there is a stigma that has been attached to it. Somewhere in the past, I don't know when, but somewhere in the past along the way, we came to believe that doubt, okay, listen, was wrong and sinful. So we attach that stigma to it. But that's not true. That's not true, and I want to unpack that this morning. You know, there are several books in the Bible that deal with doubt in various ways. I mean, books like, and I, I preached on this a few weeks ago when I preached on why bad things happen to good people. Think about Job. 37 chapters, Job asked the questions, right? He expressed doubt. God let him run his mouth for 37 chapters. 38, he said, whoa, slow your roll. Now it's my turn. And for the rest of the, the book, he peppered him with questions to get him to get a revelation. So you had Job, you have Ecclesiastes, you had Lamentations, you have Habakkuk, you have even some of the Psalms that deal with doubt. So we're not the first generation to deal with doubt. Let me just say this, you're not the first believer that struggles with doubt. How many know that? You're not the first person to ever struggle with doubt. So as we dive into this topic this morning, let me point out a couple things about doubt I think that are important. Number one, Many people believe that doubt is the opposite of faith. That's not true. It's not true. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. Okay? Many people think that, that doubt is the opposite of faith. It's not. Unbelief is the opposite of faith because unbelief refers to a willful refusal to believe 
while doubt expresses inner uncertainty. There's a difference. Number two, many people think that doubt is unforgivable, but it's not. See, here's the thing. God doesn't condemn us when we question him. Amen? Aren't you thankful for that? Because there are many times I'm like, what's up? By the way, he's okay with that too. You know, God doesn't, he doesn't condemn us when, he, when we question him. I mean, both Job, again, 37 chapters filled with questioning God. The thing is, Job knew that God knew where he was, but he just didn't understand why God wasn't responding. So, so you have Job, then you have David. I mean, David repeatedly questioned God. Many of the Psalms that David wrote, you can, you can start reading them, and he's like, why did the heathen rage? And where, you know, and it's like, where are you? What are you doing? Why can't you do this? You know, it's always interesting to read those because he starts out with a little bit of doubt, but the more he gets into it, he turns it around and becomes a praise. We'll talk about that in a minute. You see, the thing is, God's big enough to handle all of our doubts and all of our questions. And number three, many people that think that struggling with God means that we somehow have a, a lack of faith, but I don't believe that's true. I believe that struggling with God is a sure sign that we do have faith, and we're struggling to make sense of things. And, and, and the thing is, if I don't struggle, my faith never grows. You Again, if I, if I go to the gym, and I walk into the gym, and I see all of this equipment, and I stand there, and I think, man, that stuff would really help me out. If I got on that treadmill, if I got on that elliptical, if I, if, I, if I started bench pressing those 350 pounds over there, wouldn't you like to see that? <laughs> no, I ain't, I'm not doing that. <laughs> I'm not in it for the show anymore. Yeah, so you understand. But again, I can stand there all day long and I can say how wonderful and beneficial it's going to be. But unless I actually put those muscles through the rigor of stretching them and breaking them down, you know what? I never get stronger. If my faith is not tested, if my faith is not put through the ringer, so to speak, then my faith never grows. And it's a sad thing to see somebody who's been in the church or in a relationship with the Lord for 30, 40, 50 years and their faith is still just as infantile as it was the day they got saved. There, there's something about that process of growing. So, so regardless of how long we've been a Christian or how strong we feel in our faith. The truth is, every one of us at some point in our life, we doubt. We doubt. We, we have doubt. And again, having doubts doesn't mean that we, don't, that we don't love Jesus or somehow we have inferior faith. It just means that we're human. It just means we're struggling with our humanity. And, and, and I, I want you to understand that if you're sitting here today or if you're tuned in online this morning and you're struggling with doubt, it's okay. Now, we want to move past doubt, right? But if you're struggling, don't sit there and let the devil beat you over the head, making you think that you're somehow inferior to, you know, you got Sunday school Sally over here that looks like nothing could go wrong in her life and Elder Eddie or Deacon Dan and everything's going well. And don't let the devil beat you down and say, well, if you had faith like them, you wouldn't hurt. Because it's not true. In our text, let me kind of give you the setup. Jesus had just fed the 5,000. You remember that story, right? And after he fed the 5,000, he tells his disciples to get in the boat and set sail to the other side. Now, these men, you got to understand, these men had already had an experience with Jesus on the water. You go back to Matthew chapter 8, and he'll tell you there was a story, and, and, and I've been on this lake 
uh, this lake is in a bowl. The, the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee, it's in a bowl. So, you, so on the east side, you have the Golan Heights. And then to the north, you have Mount Hermon where the, the snow melts and runs down into the Sea of Galilee, which empties out into the Jordan River, which goes on down into the Dead Sea. So, so they had been on this water. And, and even now, they say that weather systems, atmospheric changes can send a weather pattern. The, the winds will rush down those, those, the height of the mountains and will cause that water to churn like a bathtub. So, so they've already been on the water with Jesus in Matthew chapter 8. In fact, where was Jesus? Anybody remember? He was asleep in the boat. Matthew 8, Jesus went out with them. This time, he's asleep on the boat. What did they do? When the, when the winds became, as the scriptures say, boisterous, they run to Jesus and they shake him and they say, Master, don't you care that we are perishing? Wake up. That's what they're saying. Lord, save us. So what does Jesus do? He wakes up, he rebukes the wind, he calms the sea, and then he looks at them and says, why are you afraid? You have little faith. So, so here's the thing. The issue in our text this morning is not a weather event, okay? Because they'd already had that weather event, and they learned a pretty powerful weapon, uh, lesson pardon me, from Jesus that, that, that storms are no match. Because remember what Jesus, when he got up and rebuked the waves and the wind, and they calmed down, they looked at each other, and they said, wow, what kind of man is this that even the wind and waves obey him? So they'd already learned their lesson on the ocean or on the wind, uh, excuse me, on the sea that was being tossed about. So, so the issue is not a weather event because they can handle that. The issue this time was there was an eerie figure walking on the water. That was the issue. What did they say? They said, it's a ghost. It's a ghost. Now, you've got to understand, let me just say this. This is, this is not validating the belief in ghosts or other paranormal creatures, okay? I've heard some people say that, that, well, the Bible is validating that there are ghosts and goblins and stuff like that. Listen, there are demonic spirits. I mean, the Bible even says that we have one that appears to be as an angel of light. So, so, so he's not validating that there are poor, uh, ghosts and paranormal creatures. And in fact, in the first century, uh, which is in the time of Christ, in that, in that time, uh, many people believe in paranormal beings such as ghosts and monsters and things like that. So what the Bible's doing is actually giving us a, a very clear presentation of what's going through their mind. When they see this figure walking on the water, they assume, again, cultural, they assume it's a ghost. And so Jesus, again, understanding that, what does he do? Immediately he says, be of good cheer. It is I, don't be afraid. Again, he knew the culture. He, know, he knew what was going on in their minds. So Jesus tries to alleviate that by simply saying, hey, hang on. Take courage. It's me. It's me. And so Peter, don't you just love Peter? I, I, I find myself sometimes a lot like him. Peter often opens his mouth and puts his foot in. And I can, I feel, I relate to that. <laughs> I resemble that. So, so what does Peter do? Peter says, Lord, if it is you, then 
invite me to come out there to you on the water. Well, so what does Jesus do? He says, come. Now notice he doesn't, he doesn't go into this long mantra about physics and, 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 and you know, the, 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 the gravity and the densities and the buoyancy. He doesn't do any of that. He just simply says with one word, come. Now that word come is a rhema word given specifically to Peter. Now what's a rhema word? A rhema word is a specific word for a specific, a specific word for a specific time to do a specific thing. Nowhere else in Scripture do you see anybody else being commanded to walk on the water. It was Peter's word. It was come. With that word was enough power to do what could not be done. So, so now think of it. That's where we are. So, so Peter says, Lord, if it's you, bid me to come to you. So Peter, the Lord says, come. Peter gets up, steps out of the boat, and guess what he does? He walks on water. He does what no one else has ever been able to do other than Jesus. He does a miracle. But here's the thing. We know how it turns out. As he gets out on the water, the Bible says the wind became, isn't that the way it is? Every time we take a step of faith, doesn't the wind get boisterous? Doesn't the wind kick up? So that's what happens. He steps out in faith. The wind starts kicking up. The waves get a little bit more choppy are a little choppier, Peter becomes distracted. What does he do? He takes his eyes off of Jesus, and he starts to sink. Peter cries out, Lord, save me. And again, the Bible says immediately, Jesus reaches out, saves him, gets him back in the boat, and says, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? So, so why did Jesus rebuke Peter like that? I'll tell you why, because in verse 27, Jesus had already declared to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So Jesus had already commanded them in the middle of the storm that I'm with you. You have no reason to be fearful, you have no reason to be frightened. So when Peter gets out on the water, again, he steps out in faith Yet he gets distracted by what's happening around him. He loses sight of Jesus. He starts to sink. What he's being rebuked for is because Jesus wanted him to have confidence that in the middle of the storm, Jesus brings a supernatural peace. I mean, think about how much faith it took for him to step over the side of the boat. And the, uh, listen, the water was still churning. The wind was still blowing. And yet he had enough faith in the beginning to step out into the unknown. It was just when he got out there, it got a little choppier than what he anticipated. And he started sinking. And he says, you little faith, why did you doubt? If I just promised you that I was with you, why did you doubt? You know what, every one of us are a little bit like Peter. Amen? We don't, we don't, we don't like to admit that. But we, we all a little bit like Peter, no matter how hard we try Life has a way of bringing out the doubt. We tend to second-guess ourselves. You know, we doubt the future, and we call it worry. We doubt other people, and we call it suspicion. We doubt ourselves, we call it inferiority. We doubt what we hear on television and the media, and we call that intelligence. <laughs> Just seeing if you're awake. <laughs> we doubt everything, and we call it skepticism. We doubt God, we call it uncertainty. We might say we don't have doubts, but the reality is we struggle with doubt to some degree. 
especially when the seas of life toss us around like a rag doll. In the last 12 years, with the struggles with my wife, there's been doubts. There's been questions. There's been, I know what you said, but it ain't what I see. You know, anybody, anybody else feel the same way? We, we struggle, we doubt. Why do we doubt? Again, we keep coming back to it. Why do we doubt? Why did Peter doubt? I mean, think about Peter in this particular situation. He, he had, I mean, Jesus in Matthew 8 had already calmed the storm. They already knew he could do that with his voice. I mean, he didn't do anything other than speak a word and it happened. I mean, they watched Jesus calm the raging storms. They, they watched him feed 5,000 men plus women and children with five loaves and two fish. And, and by the way, don't get into these modern people that talk about how big the loaves were back then and how big the fish were. Because you don't feed that many people, you'll need, you'll need five loaves of bread about as big as this building and two wells. That's a pretty hefty lunch for a little boy to take, right? They'd already seen that. Five loaves, he, he fed this many people with five loaves, two fish. He walked on the water. I mean, my goodness, what do we have to doubt with a Savior like that? He's a water walker. <laughs> Why do we doubt? I can tell you, I can answer that question in one word. And it's spelled F-E-A-R, fear. We fear. You see, sometimes storms pop up in our lives and they scare us half to death. Because they come out of nowhere, just like in the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. One minute you're out there and things are calm. And then all of a sudden the atmosphere changes and that weather pattern, it swoops down out of the Golan Heights or up from Mount Hermon. It comes down into that valley and all of a sudden the sea starts churning like a bathtub. And it can happen like that. You can go to the doctor tomorrow, feeling pretty good today, and the doctor says, I'm sorry, but there's nothing more can be done. You've got this. It's incurable. It happens. Anyone? Let me ask you, anybody here afraid of thunder? Just, just checking. Some are. I mean, it's a legitimate fear. Storms? People don't like storms. So when I grew up, I grew up in Mobile, Alabama, so that's, that's Hurricane Alley. I remember growing up with, with storms. And listen, if you didn't learn to sleep during the storm, you're probably not going to rest well. I remember, I remember Camille in 69. Oh, that's so long ago. <laughs> I remember Hurricane Frederick in 79. We called it Freddy. So, so we got accustomed to the storm. So the thunder and the lightning and the wind. But when I married into my wife's family there in, in central Louisiana, Whenever a thunderstorm moved through that area, I don't care if it's 1 o'clock in the morning, every light in the house went on. And I'm like, what are you doing? Well, there's a storm. Okay, what are you doing? There's a storm. And I found out they like to sit up through the storm. And I'm like, if I'm going to die in a storm, I want to die rested. Because there's nothing I can do with the lights on. Amen? <laughs> I mean, that's, that's just like I am to this day. But there's some people, they don't like storms. They don't like thunder. They don't like lightning. Kids, they, they wake up and they cling to their parents. Dogs run and hide because they don't like storms. But here's the thing. It's more than a weather pattern. And it's more than that. Because sometimes we have to contend with the unexpected illnesses. 
Sometimes we have to contend with the loss of a loved one or financial setbacks or broken relationships or failed governments or global pandemics, wars and rumors of wars. Listen, in those moments of life, it's not uncommon to struggle with doubt because we just don't understand. You know, every one of us have been born with this fight or flight response programmed into us. When we feel threatened, okay, when we feel threatened, our lives and our lives are in an upheaval, we tend to have irrational thoughts. Anybody know what I'm talking about? We start thinking irrationally, and we move into this irrational panic. You ever made a decision, an irrational decision in a moment of panic? Yeah. Anybody here today so far? I mean, we do. We, we do. I mean, we're just prone to that. We jump into a flight or fight, fight response when we should heed the word that says, be still and know that I'm God. That's just, that's how we are. Again, Jesus is not shaming Peter with this question. He's trying to get Peter to focus on what it's going to take to survive life's storms, and that's faith in him. Peter, why did you doubt? I told you not to fear because I'm with you. It's the same thing today. We struggle with doubt because we get our eyes off of Jesus onto the circumstances around us. It's the same thing. And when I lose sight of the master, when I lose sight of Jesus, and I focus on these peripheral things, life gets a little bit more difficult. Listen, with Sheila being in the hospital last week, there were, I had plenty of time driving back and forth every day to fuss at God. Come on, don't tell me you don't do that. I had plenty of time. But here's the thing. He always brings me back to the center. He always brings me back. One of the things I love to do is I I put on worship music. That song we sang, you said it, I believe it. I'll take you at your word. That's powerful. Listen, when Jesus is with us, we never have a reason to doubt. We never have a reason to be fearful. Because Jesus makes all the difference, even in the storms of life. See, doubt can be a danger. I said sin, doubt is not sinful, it's not wrong, it really isn't. But here's the thing, left unchecked, it can be very dangerous. It can be very dangerous to the believer because it paralyzes us and prevents us from moving forward in faith. How many people today are locked in a pattern of holding because they're afraid to take that next step? You know, everybody wants to point out Peter having that, that, that doubt. What about the other 11 that stayed in the boat? You know, Peter, people all the time in our 30 years of pastoring here, people say, man, you guys do a lot of stuff. And I said, you know what? You'll never accuse me of letting grass grow under my feet. You know, one of the things I've always loved when I strolled into this church at 27 years of age as a young pastor, one of the things I've always loved about the church is they allowed me to fail. They gave me space to do things, to try Some things I look back and think, man, they should have run you out of town. (laughs) How can the world, how would you, why would you do something like that? You know? But there are a lot of people that stayed in the boat. So I don't criticize Peter. Listen, the thing is, if we, if we don't deal with our doubt, it will become a paralyzing force in our life and it will keep us in check. We'll never, we'll never tap into the abundant life of John 10, 10. So how do we handle doubt? Next few minutes, let me give these. How, how do we handle doubt? So, so let me give you, <coughs> pardon me, let me give you a few things to help you 
handle doubt. Help us handle doubt. Number one, admit your doubts and ask for help. Admit your doubts, admit your doubts and ask for help. In Mark chapter 9, the dad came to Jesus and said, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. What is he doing? He's acknowledging I have faith, but my present circumstances aren't showing me very positive signs. You've you been in places like that? Where you believe, you believe, man, you believe this book. Listen, I believe this book. I believe from cover to cover. I even believe where it says right here, imitation leather. <laughs> I believe it all. No cow ever wore that. <laughs> Lord, I believe. But what I'm dealing with now doesn't, doesn't help me help my unbelief. It's what he prayed. Even John the Baptist, the great Jesus said, there was no, never anyone else like him, nor will there ever be. And even John the Baptist, the one I preached on last Sunday, who said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, he also sent emissaries to Jesus and said, hey, are you the one? Or do we look for someone else? You see, before, he's standing, on the, he's standing in the Jordan River baptizing people, expanding the kingdom of God, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now he's in a Herod's prison cell. He's in a deep, dark valley of life, and he says, hey, wait a minute. Are you really him, or do we need to look for somebody else? You think about Thomas. What about Thomas? We know Thomas is what? Doubting Thomas, right? He said, look, I'm not going to believe. I don't care what you tell me. I'm not going to believe unless I, he must have been from Missouri. Because <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to believe unless, you, unless I see it. I'm not going to believe it. Listen, here's the thing. God's not fragile, church. God's not fragile. He can handle our doubts. He can handle our fears. He can handle our worries. He can handle all of our questions. So go ahead and tell him about it. Go ahead and say, God, I don't understand. I started this business. I thought this is what you wanted me to do. I started it, but it's not gone anywhere. God, what's up? I'm really struggling. God, I believe in the power of healing. I believe that you are Jehovah Rapha, the God of healing. You've revealed yourself as a God of healing. But Lord, my tests came back, and they're not good. Tell him about it. And then ask for his help. I believe, but help my unbelief. See, you're not alone. You are surrounded by people who have walked through difficult times. And listen, I believe there are people around here that have, listen, if, if I believe what Paul said to the Corinthians, he said, we're comforted. The comfort we've been comforted with is the same comfort we use to help comfort people. There's a lot of comfort in that. In other words, the thing that we go through in our lives is not an isolated event because there are other people that will benefit from what we struggle with. With Sheila and I for 12 years, my prayer has been, God, give me the grace. Sometimes I do well, sometimes not so well. But I said, give me the grace to handle the struggles of being a primary caregiver so that other people can see you in me. That's, that's, that's it, you know. So admit, <laughs> I doubt, help me out. Number two, recognize that faith is a choice, not a feeling. It's, not, it's, a, it's a choice. You know, we oftentimes, we struggle in, in life. We, 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 we say, well, I'm just not feeling it. 
Well, sometimes you just won't feel it. Amen? I hear people say, ooh, I felt that one. Sometimes you don't feel it. Right? I mean, as a mockery, I'm just simply saying that we can't judge life by how we feel. That's how, but that's how we do it, right? We wake up on the wrong side of the bed. Now, we may have a roof over our head. We may have food in the cupboard. We may have money in the bank. We wake up on the wrong side of the bed. We are grump all day long for no reason. Amen? Boy, getting quiet in this Presbyterian church. We don't feel it. We somehow think that God, we got to have doodads running up and down our spine all the time. Not so. Because sometimes you're not going to have it. Sometimes you're going to be weighed down with life. Listen, we rely on our feelings to tell us how our day is going to be. But the truth is, feelings are unreliable. Some days I'm up here and some days I'm down here and some days I'm in here and some days I don't even know where I am. I mean, Peter's fear was irrational. Why? Because Jesus was with him. I mean, do you see that? It was irrational because Jesus was with him and he just said, don't be afraid, it's me. Not only that, but it was at his command. Peter didn't become presumptuous to jump out without permission. It was at his command that he stepped out of the boat. His rhema word to Peter provided everything that Peter needed to do what Jesus commanded him to do. So his doubt was unfounded. It was unfounded because he, but because he, he felt fear, he felt fear from his external circumstances, he started sinking. See, that's what happens. If we don't deal with doubt, we get caught up by the external circumstances and we get our eyes off of Jesus. And those things overwhelm us. Listen, it's easy to have faith when everything's going well. Is it not? I mean, listen, when you've got money in the bank, when your wife loves you, your husband loves you, the doctor says you don't have cancer, your children are doing well, your career is moving forward, you're happy at church, you're, everything's going right in your world. Listen, it's okay. It's easy to be faithful and have faith. But let me ask you this. What happens when you run out of money? Or what happens when your marriage falls apart? Or what happens when the doctor says, I'm sorry, but you have cancer? Or your children have problems, or you lose your job, or, or your friendships starting to start crumbling and falling apart? What do you do then? What do you do when life just generally stinks? The thing is, if, if all we have is a God of the good times, then our faith is pretty shallow. Jesus said, in the world, you're going to have tribulation, but be of good cheer. Number three, act on your faith, not your doubts. Again, if I'm going to handle my doubts, I've got to learn how to start acting on my faith, not my doubts. Think about Noah. How long did he build a boat? Anybody know? 120 years. Now, it was bigger than a boat. It was a ship. Actually, it was an ark. 120 years he built this ark. Why did he build that ark? Because God told him to. Now, don't you imagine for 120 years, don't you imagine that society in general probably started peppering him with all kinds of questions? Like, what are you doing? Maybe the first few years they maybe thought a little bit of, maybe they thought something was to what he was saying. But can you imagine after the first decade and the second decade and the third decade, decade and, and then the century mark hit, and still no rain? 
and he's still building that boat. Oh, why are you building that boat? God told me to. Why? Well, he just told me to. At his command. What was he doing? He was acting on his faith, not his doubt. Don't you imagine he doubted during that 120 years at some point? What am I doing out here? Again, human nature is not any different. I'm sure he struggled with that. Every day, getting up, going out to the, to the shipyard and building that ship. But God said it. What about Abram? Abram's doing well in the Ur of Chaldees. God's, everything's going well. He's got a great family. He's got wealth. And on a day, God shows up and said, hey, Abram, guess what? I need you to move, buddy. Well, where am I going? Well, I'll show you. So what does Abram do? He acts on faith because God spoke to him and said, move. Even though he didn't know where he was going, it would only be revealed if he followed in obedience. It's what Abraham did later on when God called him and said, hey, I want you to take your son, your only son, and take him to Mount Moriah, and I want you to sacrifice him. What does he do? He acts on his faith. You read that account, and it, and it, it testifies as much. He gets up there and gets all the, he, he gets on top of the mountain, builds the, ar, the, the, the altar, gathers the wood. His son Isaac, his one and only son, looks and said, Dad, where's the sacrifice? What did he say? Son, God will provide a lamb. He acted on his faith, not his doubt. Moses, what Moses did when he overcame the Red Sea and he walked across on dry grounds. What David did when he goes out to meet Goliath, he said, hey, you come to me with a sword and shield, but I'm coming to you in the name of somebody greater. You see, you understand? I promise you they doubted it. I, I promise you little old David, little five foot nothing, runt, that's what it, runny type of fella, goes out there against Goliath, who's some estimates nine to ten feet tall. That's a big dude. That's a big dude. And yet he goes out there anyway, full of faith, and he says, how dare you? <laughs> Don't you imagine that there was a little bit of doubt initially? I, I think he probably struggled a little bit, but he's, he acted on his, his faith. Not his, nevertheless, nevertheless, the God whom you defile this day will give you into my hand. It's what Joshua did when he walked around Jericho. What a battle strategy. Walked around Jericho one time a day and then seven times on the seventh day. It's what Nehemiah did when he goes back to rebuild the wall. All of them had doubts. All of them struggled with uncertainty, and yet every one of them acted on their faith. And none of them, listen, we read this as history. They were living it. When we get to heaven, there's, there's a lot of people up in heaven I want to see, right? But I want to go and see the three Hebrew children, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, and I want to ask them, what was it? What did you have inside of you? That when the king heated that thing up seven times hotter than it's ever been, what was inside you when you said, King, we're not bowing down. The God we serve is able, but if not, we're still not doing it. What, what was it in you that caused you to look at that flaming furnace and say, you know what? I'm not shaking one bit because I serve a God who's more than enough. See, they act on faith, not doubts. Number four, doubt your doubts, not your faith. Doubt your doubts, not your faith. David wrote in Psalm 23, verse 4, the version I like, I quote it often, says, when I walk through the deep, dark valleys of life, I will not fear 
because you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. What a powerful thing. Every one of us here, if you've not gone through one, hang on, it's coming. We will go through the deep, dark valleys of life. And that has different meanings for different people. Some it's a health issue, some it's a loss, uh, a, a loss of loved ones, some it's a, it's a financial thing. I, again, there's all kinds of valleys we go through. But here's the thing about valleys. that When David writes this, he's not talking, he's talking the, the challenges of life are a thoroughfare, not a box canyon. You understand that? A thoroughfare leads you through. A box canyon boxes you in. The struggles that we have in life are not box canyons. They're thoroughfares. So how do we overcome those? We just keep on moving. See, the thing is, nothing is gained by camping out in the valley of darkness. Every step forward that we make is a way to doubt my doubt. Soon enough, the light will shine again. What is it, the darkest hours just before the dawn? Listen, it might be midnight in your life. It might, be, it might be really dark right now in your life, but I'm telling you, there's a new day that will dawn. So keep putting one foot in front of the other. Keep trusting in the sovereignty of God and the, the omnipotence of God. That's a fancy word that just means he's all-powerful. Nothing he can't do. Listen, there will always be things in life that happen that, can't, that we cannot explain, but the, that's the constant of life, the uncertainty, right? Anchor in God who he is and what Jesus has done and keep pressing on. Lastly, keep going back to what you know to be true. Keep going back to what you know to be true. What is this? This is, this is fact, the fact of faith over the fiction of feelings. There are times when we go through the ringer where we don't feel near God, right? But God said, I'll not leave you. So, so then I have a choice. I have to side with what God has already said or I lean to my emotions. That's why Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not to your own understanding, but in all of ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your steps. Paul, the apostle, a man well acquainted with hardships. How many would believe that? He, he was acquainted with a lot, shipwrecked, beaten, starved, stoned. Then what does he say when thinking about the perils of his life in Romans 8? He said, for I am persuaded. I am persuaded. Later on, he writes to his son in the Lord Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 1. He says it like this. He said, I know in whom I have believed. That was the anchor. That was his anchor. When the storms of life would toss him about, he was anchored in the one in whom he believed. He had been pers persuaded that even though the storms of life would rage against him, nothing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Paul anchored in God's faithfulness. So let me ask as I wrap this up this morning, what is it that you know beyond a doubt? I mean, think about it. What are your non-negotiables? Has, has God been good to you before? then run to the goodness of God. If God was good to you yesterday, he'll still be good to you today. If God came through for you 10 years ago, 
he will still come through for you today. That's immutable. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. James said that with God there is no variableness nor shadow of turning. That means he doesn't, he doesn't change with what's in vogue. He's reliable, he's dependable, he's trustworthy. I have some non-negotiables and sometimes I have to run back to them. When my life gets overwhelmed with just stuff, I have to run back to what I know is true. What I know is Jesus said in the world I'm going to have trouble but I'm to be cheerful. What I know is he said, I'm going to prepare a place for you, and if I go, I'll come back. Those are things that I know. Those are my non-negotiables. No matter how difficult life becomes, I can moan and I can groan, and I do sometimes. Ashamedly, I say that. I do. But I always come back to knowing the goodness of God. Had it not been for the Lord, you would not know Mike Mizell. Had it not been for the Lord, I wouldn't be standing here today. Had it not been for the goodness of God, I don't even know where I'd be today. So I got to keep coming back to that. I might be hurting in the moment, but I keep remembering, God, you're faithful. That's what I know beyond a doubt. See, when it comes to our Christian journey, guys, come on back. When it comes to our Christian journey, at some point we all have to decide to go all in. We have to decide to go all in. That means that we just have to lay it all on the table. And risk everything to follow Jesus. Because you know what? There's no plan B. There is no plan B. So we can't live like there is. I've got to be all in. Peter demonstrated great faith when he asked Jesus to let him walk on water. He invited him to participate in that great miracle. But Peter's doubts got the best of him and he began to sink. So let me ask you, what are you doubting today? What are you doubting today? What is it in your life that you're so afraid of that has you paralyzed from carrying out God's call on your life? His presence with Peter in the storm gave him everything he needed to just do the impossible. Don't be afraid. It is I. He says that to us. What's, what are you afraid of? My prayer this morning and what I'm going to ask you to do is we close. So, Pastor, again, I gave you some steps on how to deal with it. Here's the thing. Ask God to open your eyes. You remember Jehazi in the Old Testament? He was a servant of Elisha. And there's a story about him that he's, they're, they're surrounded by the Assyrians. And so when he sees the Assyrian army, he runs in and says, Hey, Master, we're surrounded. And I just picture the old prophet sitting there and his lazy boy, you know, just taking it easy, just meditating on the goodness of God. And he comes in and says, hey, there, there's, a bunch of, there's a bunch of soldiers out there. And he's like, oh, well, God, open his eyes and let him see. You remember what God did? He opened his eyes and he saw the host of the Lord's army. And he said, they that were with us are more than they that were against us. And so what I'm saying is if you feel overwhelmed today with life and things have piled up on you and, and, and you have doubts in your heart, my, my, pray and ask God, God, open my eyes and let me see that those that are with us are more than they that be against me. Let us see into the realm where God is operating right now on our behalf. He's got you, friend. He's got you covered. Why do you doubt? 
when he said, I'll be with you even to the very end. Would you stand with me this morning? Maybe your cry is, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. That's a prayer that I think he can answer. <laughs> Not only do I think he can answer it, I believe he will answer it. Lord, I, I believe, I have faith in you, I do know, but Lord, my pre and, that, and I really think that's what he's praying. Lord, my present circumstances, what I'm seeing with my own eyes, that's why sometimes we got to say, God, open my spiritual eyes because my eyes will betray me. Because see, my eyes see a giant that's bigger than me, but they don't see the God that's above the giant. So I have to ask God, open these eyes so I can see. Look to the hills from whence my help comes. My help cometh from the Lord, the maker. I like that, the maker of heaven and earth. While we sing this morning, if you're here today and you've got some doubts, again, about anything, Maybe you're struggling in your marriage and you think, you know what, I, I don't know that it'll, it'll, it'll work. Well, you know what, bring it to Jesus. You got struggle, struggling with your finances this morning, you don't know how you're going to get out of that financial hole, bring it to Jesus. Maybe you've got some health issues and you don't know. Maybe you're a little afraid, afraid of the prognosis or the diagnosis. Bring it to Jesus. Lord, Here's what the doctor said. And I'll, I'll just admit to you, Lord, it's got me a little bit worried. Because they, they say it's not good. It's not a good report. So, so I'm struggling because your word says you're my healer. You said by, my, by your stripes. By my stripes, you said I'm healed. You even said I sent my word and I healed them. You've revealed yourself as a healer. But Lord, this is what the doctor said. This is the report but I'm going to give it to you. Help my unbelief. Lord, I, I've got a son and a daughter that's turned their back on faith. They're messed up. They don't want to hear anything I have to say. I try to, I try to tell them about your goodness, but they tune me out. I don't know what else to do. But Lord, I believe that if you train up a child in the way that they would go, they'll not depart. I'm going to give it to you. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe that they're, no, they're not so far away that you can't reach. Help me believe that your ears are still attentive to their prayers. See, whatever you struggle with this morning, come and bring it to Jesus. And say, Lord, I believe. Now help my unbelief. Would you do that this morning as they sing? This is your time. Again, I'm an altar guy. This is where things are altered right here. You're struggling, you're doubting. Come on this morning, find Jesus. Give it to him and walk out with confidence. Creation knows the voice spoken to the That brought the dust to life, sang the stars to fall. Amen. Come on, friend. Come on. Maybe you struggle with your faith this morning. Come on. Let Jesus, let him blow up on that faith, those embers of your faith this morning.
heaven will prevail. Heaven will prevail. Strongholds will be this morning. Come on, bless the Lord this morning. God is for you. Just for a moment, Tom, some of you may not know, but next Sunday will be 19 years ago. He died for the second time. He was in a major, major, major motorcycle accident on South Main. When they care flighted him, broke, I don't know how many, just about every bone in his face. When they care flighted him from here to downtown Fort Worth, he died, coded, wasn't given much options or, or, or really much hope to, to live. And what he was telling me is, he said, you know, this church did not doubt, but went to prayer and believed that God was enough. And that he's alive today 
because we believed in the God who could not fail. And if God can do it for Tom, and for and, and again, you understand what I'm saying. If He'll do it for one, He'll do it for others. Don't doubt. Trust the goodness of God. We need to we we need to do a my story day again pretty soon. Because we have new families that have come in. You need to hear that these stories, they're real people that have real stories of real things that have happened, but God stepped in. You know, the scripture always talks about the disaster and the the, the chaos, and then they add these two words, but God. But God. And to your situation this morning, and I, as we were praying this morning, as Tom came forward, I really felt like the Lord wanted me to say this to somebody here today. You're struggling trying to find your way. And God just wants me to tell you to keep stepping one foot in front of the other. See, he called Abram to go to a land that he did not know where it was. But the obedience of Abram brought him into the land of promise. And that you might be struggling right now knowing what your direction is and you're waiting because you want the clarity of direction. You want the clarity of understanding the journey. But God is calling you just to go. To put one foot in front of the other. I don't know who that's for, but I want you to trust that God already has your future mapped out. He knows the beginning from the end and He has you where He wants you. So don't doubt where you are. Don't doubt the journey. Just keep stepping, and you'll get there. And you'll stand up one day, and you may not have a testimony like Tom, but you'll have a testimony saying, you know what? Back in 2023, on August the 20th, I was standing in a service, and pastor preached on doubt. And at that point, I was full of doubt. I didn't know what direction I was going to go. I didn't know what my future was like, but I listened, and, and, it, and it grabbed hold of me. And I started putting one foot in front of the other, other and one day became a week and another week became a month and a month became a year and a year became five and became ten and here I am today and I can attest to the goodness of the Lord if you'll walk he's got you he's got you can we just for a moment if you're comfortable doing that would you just lift your hand and thank God for where you are right now just where you are right now God, we rejoice right now. We may, we may not be where we want to be, but God, we know you got us. <laughs> we may struggle with doubt, and we may not understand why, but God, today we believe. I pray, God, that you would help us, Lord. Thank you for the progress that we've made. While we may not be where we want to be, but we're not where we used to be. And we may not be who we want to be, but we're not what we used to be. Because you've changed us. You've come in and you've worked a work on us. Some through health and healing, some through attitudes and behaviors. Lord, you've done a good job on us. But you're not finished with us yet. And long as we have breath, you're not done. So, Father, help us with the journey ahead. Every day, take one foot and put it in front of the other. Every obstacle, every challenge, may we not doubt, may we believe that better days are ahead of us. And we trust your plan and we trust the process. 
Now, Father, I pray you take us out of here today filled with faith. Lord, the storms will come. The wind will be boisterous. The waves will crash against us. But, Lord, we keep our eyes on you, and we do the impossible. Give us a great week. May we walk daily in victory. May we put the de- hell on notice right now. You're under our feet. You're under our feet. You have no authority and no dominion over us in the name of Jesus. And, Lord, we declare that from the highest heights. Lord, you are, we are not a doormat for the devil. Lord, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us and gave himself for us. So, Lord, we walk out victorious and we enforce that victory every day this week. Thank you for the journey. Thank you for where we are. And thank you for where you're taking us. We declare it in Jesus' mighty name. And we all said, amen. Amen. Thank you for being with us online. I look forward to seeing you next time. God bless you and I love you. Spirit.